Welcome to the Intersection of Faith and the Culture. Thanks for joining us on Wall Builders today. We're always taking on the hot topics of the day from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. I don't know if you call moonwalking a hot topic, but it's obviously a great topic, and it was so cool yesterday to have Charlie Duke with us, one of only 12 to walk on the moon in the Apollo program, and uh, just an amazing guy. And yesterday, David, we talked about how you got to know him and the friendship that you struck up, and uh, Tim mentioned that we had him at, at our legislators' conference, so it's just kind of cool to have have that relationship and uh, the chance to have him on the program, and the uh, interview went so well that it's actually going to take three programs for us to share the entire interview with folks, and so we'll pick up right where we left off yesterday, but just to kind of recap what we've covered already. You know, it was really kind of funny to me when he, when he said that he became an astronaut because he saw one ad in the LA Times asking for astronauts. That's not what I would expect to see in any kind of one ad. And of course, going back to newspaper with one ads, who does that today? I mean, but still, back back at that point in time where he got in that program, having a want ad from NASA seeking astronauts to go to the moon, that just seemed pretty amazing. And then just listening to him talk about the dangers uh, that they face. I, I don't guess I'd thought about the dangers in that sense. I didn't realize that the terrain of the moon was such that if they stumble into one of those craters, that's where they'll spend their remains because they're not getting out. There's no way of getting them out. And so even just the, the psychological strength it takes to be able to do the things that they were doing on the face of the moon, uh, that, that was really amazing to me. I don't think that I go anywhere today where I, I worry about something like that, about not being able to contact someone or get any help somehow or some way. But man, what they were doing, I mean, there's just nothing there. There's nobody there. There's nowhere they can turn for help. And they didn't have the equipment they would need to, to get somebody out of a crater if they fell in it. And that, that was all new thoughts for me. I just hadn't thought about any of that. Yeah, David, you know, there's uh, there's the movie with Matt Damon about Mars, you know, that's, that's make-believe, him getting stuck on Mars and having to be there by himself. But this is the real deal. Like you said, Charlie could have been stuck there. I mean, there's so many things that could have gone wrong. And uh, so it's just kind of cool to actually get to relive this from 51 years ago. We're going to jump right back in where we left off yesterday. This is Charlie Duke, moonwalker, astronaut, and strong believer and good friend of wall builders. So uh, we decided, I talked John in, let's go look at that rock over there. It looks like it's pretty good size. And he argued a little bit, but uh, that went, and I talked him into it. So off we went. And the more we jogged, the bigger the rock got. And so at the end of that clip, you heard, man, that's our house rock. And it was, it was about as big as a house. And uh, we were standing there looking up at this big rock and, and we got to get a piece of it, but I got this little hammer in my hand, and, you know, can, what, can I whack it off? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I did, and um, we got a, a piece of the rock, if you will, uh, piece, and uh, it was the, probably the biggest rock ever sampled up on the moon of all the missions. Uh, and so we named it House Rock, and... Uh, then we had to jog back, and it was slightly uphill going back, so it was a pretty good hike, but uh, probably a quarter of a mile uh, around the uh, the edge of that crater that we ended up jogging. Wow. So, so where did that rock end up? I mean, what did they do with it? Where is it today? What happened with uh, the experiments you guys brought back? That piece of the rock, we whacked off a hunk of it, and... Uh, put it in our sample bag and we brought it back and 
it's probably been sampled partly, but there are probably 600 pounds of moon rock still in the lunar lab at uh, Johnson Space Center down in Houston, and they parcel them out every year, a few kilos, if you will, for experiments. We did a lot of experiments, heat flow, uh, which didn't work, but the other ones, two seismic experiments and a magnetometer, and then we had experiments that we took with us on the car, and all that data was sent back and or either recorded, uh, and those samples were all recorded. We picked up a sample, and you had to, generally, we bagged it, and it, it was a number on the bag, and we described it, what we were seeing, and um, what kind of rocks it was. Uh, they had told us there was going to be a lot of volcanic rocks, uh, but there weren't any. And so it was wow. unique uh, in landing sites. Uh, and the geologists, the professionals, got really, really excited when we started describing these rocks. Wow. So you, you were talking about the, the car you had up there, and I was watching some footage where that you were standing outside, and, and John was kind of driving it and putting some limits on it. So listen to this clip. Man, you are really bouncing. Is he on the ground at all? That's 10 kilometers. Huh? He's got about two wheels on the ground. Okay, turn sharp. I have no desire to turn sharp. <laughs> okay, here's a sharpie. Hey, that's great. He's a big rooster tail out of all four wheels. And as he turns, he skids. The back end breaks loose just like on snow. Come on back, John. Hey, the deck is running. Man, I'll tell you, Andy's never seen a driver like this. <laughs> that was great. So I was watching that 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 car and, and and you and John and various things, and that was a pretty big sized car. I mean, considering the size of the lunar module, did you guys have to assemble that after you got there? We had to unfold it. The chassis came in three parts. The front wheels folded up like landing gear on an airplane. Wow. And then that front chassis folded over on top of the instrument panel and part of the seats. And the rear wheels did the same. So the storage area, the car was actually 10 feet by 5 feet. And so, but they only had a storage area of 5 foot by 5 foot. So they had to make the chassis foldable so that it would fit in the spot on the lunar module on the outside where it was stowed. And so once we got there, we released some of the pins that held it in place. And then when we got down onto the ground, we started pulling this uh, pulley system, which was a bell crank, basically, and cranked it out. It got out about 45 degrees and pulled all the pins, and it sprang open like more in the landing gear on an airplane. Wow. It was a beautiful design. Then we made sure it was locked. The chassis were locked in place. And once we got it on the ground, we just picked it up and uh, walked off with it a little bit and turned it around. And John got in and powered it up and drove off. It it was fantastic. That's great. So did you ever put it to the max? I mean, were you guys anywhere close to the max of how fast it would go, or was it just kind of regulated? No, no, it had no uh, governor on it. Wow. Coming down off of one of the craters, I think it was Stone Mountain, the second day out, John just sort of put full throttle and let it go, and it 
the speedometer only went up to 17 kilometers per hour, 11 miles an hour, and then it was a stop uh, on it. it. wouldn't go any higher. We were against the stop, and I know we were going faster than 10 miles an hour, probably uh, 12 or 15 or so. And uh, so it was really bouncy, and but real stable. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, you never felt like it was going to turn over on you, though it mm. did skid like being on snow or ice, but it never you never felt the, the had that feeling it was going to flip over. Yeah. I heard you guys talking about, you know, certain areas had more magnetism than others. And I know that on the, some of your trips, you got out of sight of the lunar module. So what was navigate? How'd you do your navigation? I mean, does the compass work up there? What can you do to navigators or just land maps? Well, the moon actually has no organized uh, magnetism. It's some remnant magnetism up there. So uh, in Apollo, you landed early morning on the moon day, which meant the shadows were facing going west. And so uh, the shadow was your west. Uh-huh. And we had a gyroscope uh, that so we we uh, parked the rover uh, every day. We'd start out, we'd drive, so we were pointing down sun. And we had a little directional gyro on the instrument panel, and we'd turn it. It was 270 was at the top. And that was our direction. And we had a odometer, uh, a little odometer that read uh, kilometers, and on the rear wheel, and uh, and that was our distance. So the maps were uh, degrees and kilometers, and uh, and we just followed the map because uh, we landed very close to where we had intended to land. So the maps were real good. That's great. Well, I, I was watching you guys in spacesuits, and it looks like you're a couple of penguins waddling around. I mean, I never saw the knees bend on that stuff. It didn't look like it was very, very comfortable for that. And then we, we've collected a lot of Charlie Duke stuff for, for museum and whatnot. And we've got a letter from, I think, back in 81, where that you were talking to a girl and saying, well, you know, our, our, our my spacesuit on, on Earth weighed 362 pounds, only 60 on the moon. So, I mean, that's a sizable spacesuit you got. What made it so heavy? What did you have in that? I mean, what kept it from bending? How well, come it was so stiff? Well, it wasn't the spacesuit. The whole thing, me and the spacesuit and the backpack, which was our life support system, it all, when I got all suited up, moon boots, moon helmet, everything, the whole enchilada, if you will, weighed 363 pounds. Wow. So I weighed 152 back then. The spacesuit was about... Uh, the backpack was about 150, and I think the spacesuit itself was like 60 so or so. So you add all that up, and it was uh, 363 pounds down here, but up on the moon, divide by six. Yeah. So uh, it was a little stiff. You couldn't bend at the waist uh, or, uh, or, or pull up, uh, you know, like you couldn't step, bend at the knee either. Uh, but uh, you, it had a, a bend at the knee, but it was really stiff. And the only time I found out it would, you could bend it was when I fell down a couple of times and I did a several push-ups uh, to get up and you, and I could rock back uh, on my, my feet and my knees that were on the ground. And finally it would, it would spring you up. Uh, so, uh, but 
the suit wasn't too uncomfortable, uh, actually, and it was uh, it was that you were able to do a pretty good job of working, uh, picking up rocks and things like that. The things that was that got tired was squeezing the gloves. Uh, mm. You had to squeeze the glove to grip, grip a hammer or a rock or whatever. Uh, and so after eight hours, uh, you're beginning to cramp up a little bit in the forearms. It's, you know, like squeezing a ball for eight hours. Yeah. Wow. So, Charlie, we need to take a break here. We'll be back in just a minute on The Wall Builder Show. Hey, this is Tim Barton with Wall Builders. And as you've had the opportunity to listen to Wall Builders Live, you've probably heard the wealth of information about our nation, about our spiritual heritage, about the religious liberties, about all the things that makes America exceptional. And you might be thinking, as incredible as this information is, I wish there was a way that I could get one of the Wall Builders guys to come to my area and share with my group, whether it be a church, whether it be a Christian school or public school or some political event or activity. If you're interested in having a Wall Builder speaker come to your area, you can get on our website at www.wallbuilders.com and there's a tab for scheduling. And if you'll click on that tab, you'll notice there's a list of information from speakers' bios to events that are already going on. And there's a section where you can request an event to bring this information about who we are, where we came from, our religious liberties and freedoms. Go to the Wall Builders website and bring a speaker to your area. Welcome back to the Wall Builder Show. Charlie, let's pick up on what we were talking about just before the break. With all you got, I mean, you, you got oxygen and everything else that you need in that. How long can you stay out in that suit before you have to go back and refill, recharge? It would. It depended on uh, uh, how hard you were working. And, uh, and, and so the EVA was designed for about seven to eight hours and at the end of eight hours, uh, you were generally on your, just about to go on your reserve oxygen, uh, and uh, our cooling water was also a, a, a limit because uh, you get real hot in the suit. It's like working out in a refrigerator, you know, and uh, so it gets real hot, uh, and uh, and so you had a cooling garment, and that had cooling water and that was a limit of on a consumable. So generally seven and a half to eight hours was the maximum you could stay out. So uh, here's, here's a clip on one of the weather forecasts they gave you one day. April 22nd. The lunar surface temperature in the sun should be around 135 degrees today. So if you got 135, I know that's hot. So obviously you had to have some kind of air conditioner for, for the suit how cold did it get? I mean, what was the, the range you guys dealt with, and how'd you stay cool when it was that hot? We had a uh, a, a liquid cool garment that we wore on the inside, and this garment uh, was had uh, about a quarter inch diameter tubes worn worn through it, and they all came together on a manifold that fit on your stomach. Uh, on the, the and uh, these tubes were filled with water, and in the backpack, uh, so you plug that onto the inside of your suit, and on the backpack uh, we had a a tank of water and a pump, 
so it worked like a car radiator. Wow. And you plugged that into the front and turned it on, and it pumped water through these tubes, and uh, and that would pick up the body heat and uh, it take it out to the backpack where it was exposed to the vacuum, and it just flashed off into a gas wow. with the, the heat with it. So it was very efficient, and uh, we had a minimum intermediate maximum position and i never did go to the maximum it was uh freezing and so uh uh generally when we were working you would work at intermediate and then when you got into the rover you you had a switch and you'd flip it back to men and uh that was plenty comfortable so how cold did it get while you guys were there was it always hot like 135 or was it cold as well no, it depends on the angle of the sun, David. Uh, in Apollo, you were there always in daylight. Uh, uh-huh. A day on the moon from sunrise to sunset, two weeks. Wow. And so you had two weeks of daylight, wow. two weeks of night uh, on the moon. So we landed early morning on the moon day. And when we landed, it was probably uh, uh, 85 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. When we left, it was 250 degrees, I think, of Fahrenheit. So wow. uh, it was, a, and that, but that's just the surface temperature of the soil. Uh, and uh, your suit uh, protects you from that heat. But as I said, the body heat was your problem. Yeah. And uh, without a heat, uh, without a cooling garment, you had heat stroke in about 30 minutes. Wow. So, uh, uh, the, uh, as, so as the sun got higher and higher in the sky, the surface temperature got hotter and hotter. And uh, but that wasn't a problem because it didn't radiate heat. Uh, it it well a little bit, but it, most of the heat was absorbed in the soil. Wow. Uh, and uh, so it was the body heat that that worried you. Wow. I remember picking up one experiment. It was a, with an aluminum frame. And we had to bring this experiment back, and so I, I picked it up, and I could feel the heat from that uh, aluminum frame through my gloves. Wow! But uh, so it was very hot. Probably the gloves had a limit of two hundred and fifty degrees Fahrenheit. Wow, man! I've never heard a two-week lunar day. That's amazing, and that hot. So just looking at stuff that that happened with you and that you guys took. I know that every astronaut took some personal effects. I remember Buzz Aldrin took a, a, a chalice to the moon, had communion before he stepped out of the moon. And so we've, we've collected various personal effects from various astronauts. And, and I heard a, a song done a few years ago by a group called Stryker Brothers. You've heard it. And it was about Merle Haggard having given you some, some country western stuff. So here's, here's that clip real quick. My name is Merle Haggard. We want to dedicate this especially to Charlie Duke. He was the one who, who asked for the tape, and we hope you all get back safe. Charlie Duke took country music to the moon. He blasted off and That was great just hearing that when it's happening. But my curiosity is how much personal stuff could you take and why did you choose the stuff you choose? I, I, you know, every astronaut, I guess, is going to have reasons. Why did you take what you took to the moon? Well, uh, each of us had uh, two. We could take two hours of music, ah. and uh, I chose country music because that's my favorite. 
And uh, a disc jockey in Houston, uh, Bill Bailey, uh, uh, Pasadena, actually, uh, I called him up and said, Bill, give me some country music. So he said, you got it. So uh, so I get these two hours of tape back, and um, and I plug one of them in going to the moon, and uh, it was, hey, Charlie, this is Dolly Parton and, <laughs> and Porter Wagner, and we did this special program for you, and I hope you and John and Ken like it. That and is... that was a half hour. Then Merle Haggard came on, and he did a half-hour program. And then uh, Buck Owens came on, and he did a half-hour program and finished up with uh, Chet Atkins and Jerry Reed. And um, so my neighbor around the corner is a country music uh, star. is named Randy Rogers. And uh, so this was in, in New Braunfels. And uh, so I, I gave him one of the tapes and uh, and so he could listen to it. And he got really excited. He said, can I write a song about that? So he and Robert Earl Keane wrote that song you just played. Charlie Duke took country music to the moon. And, uh, and then, so it was a big hit and, uh, uh all the, the guys of both John and Ken loved, uh, they weren't country music fans when they went, but we, uh, <laughs> when they became, I think. And, uh, so it was, uh, that was one of the things, but that wasn't counted towards us. Uh, we each had a what was called a pilot preference kit, PPK, and uh, we could, as long as it wasn't flammable, and they approved what you put in it. Uh, so I had a picture of the family uh, that I took and left up on the moon, and I had several pieces of jewelry for moms and wife and uh, sisters and stuff, and then I had flags. American flags, Texas flags, things like that, just personal items that uh, some people wanted me to take, uh, close friends. I took a few things. And uh, the lunar module, it weighed like eight ounces was your limit. But the command module, you could, uh, there was no limit. So uh, we took some medallions that we had minted and uh, those kind of things that we took. And then we, uh, parceled them out when we got back and uh, and we brought back a lot of uh, of the lunar module and uh, wow. we could keep that kind of stuff uh, you know I have the shovel that I used up on the moon and uh, the uh, let's see I don't have the hammer but John has the hammer and uh, we did uh, brought back a lot of stuff like that and uh, some of that's been sold some of it's been in museums and uh, and, uh, some I still have in my possession, man, that's great. So with, with all you guys did and with all the history that's there, I'm going to jump into something that's a lot less fun, but it's ridiculous. But I, I remember watching you guys and I watched the news and, and the takeoff and the splashdown, all the stuff that happened. And then it wasn't long after that, we had these kind of crazy deniers start popping up that said, no, nah, you guys didn't go to the moon. That was all made up by Hollywood. And did you ever have anybody say that to you that you you actually didn't do what you know that you did? Oh yeah, lots of times. Uh, and uh, I said, "Why don't you believe it?" And they gave me some. They give me. They give you some loosey goosey explanation. Well, look, there's a black sky, and NASA was so stupid that they forgot to put the stars in the sky. And I said, "Dummy, it was the sun was shining." And there's, <laughs> 
And uh, so you don't see the stars when the sun shines, and uh, uh, and and the, uh, the, the 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 you never see the sun uh, the stars in space unless you're on the dark side of the Earth or the dark side of the moon. Uh, it's always daylight, and so you don't do look out. It's always black sky. Well, anyway, there was a lot of other little things like that, but they just are ignorant of, of what actually happened. You can see our, right now, uh, I think 10, 12 years ago, there was a satellite put in orbit around the moon called the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter. And it's it had a camera with, I think, four or five feet resolution. And it took pictures of all of the uh, Apollo landing sites. And you can see our car, you can see a descent stage, you can see experiments package, uh, and, and then there's... 600 pounds of rock uh, that we brought back that are totally unique. Uh, and so if anybody doubts it, uh, uh, they're willfully ignorant, I think, and uh, because the evidence is overwhelming that we landed on the moon. All right, folks, we've got to interrupt the interview with Charlie Duke one more time. We'll pick up where we left off uh, today. We'll pick that up tomorrow, and that'll be the conclusion of the entire interview uh, but, but David, as we're going into tomorrow, what can people expect for tomorrow's uh, conclusion with the interview? Well, it's going to be fun to see what he says the response is to the deniers, because we asked him about his generation. There were deniers there. But how about the young guys? You know, Tim mentioned at the start yesterday, there's a lot of people who doubt that this ever happened. Uh, and so, you know, I know we're going to get into that tomorrow for sure. Well, guys, I am excited to ask him some of those questions. Uh, and, you know, I, I thought it was even fun um, hearing about some of the uh, the personal effects he took with him, um, taking country music to the moon. Uh, you know, just so many fun things that you don't necessarily think about. Uh, and and just giving context. And, uh, you know, already some, Dad, you got to ask him a little bit about some of the Nyers in their day and, and some, some pretty solid responses already. But as you hear some of these details and stories, it, it, it begins to make sense that this is a real event. This wasn't something that was fabricated. And, and again, tomorrow I'm excited about asking more questions and, and unfolding this a little bit deeper, uh, hopefully to get, gain even more context for, for, again, rising generations who just don't know the whole story. Uh, but man, already incredible to this point, and I'm looking forward to tomorrow. All right, folks, don't miss tomorrow. It'll be the conclusion of our time with Charlie Duke. You've been listening to Wall Builder. Stand undivided